Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we talk to a creative guest each week, talk about their life and their creative endeavours and get them to talk about some of the music that they love. I'm your host Simon and welcome to episode one. We have a great guest today in the form of Eskimo Joe frontman Cav Tempoli. How the show works is that we chat to our guests, but we also get them to make you a playlist and we upload that to Spotify for you to listen to. You can find the link to our Spotify in the show notes. Our chat today covers everything from songwriting when drunk to how live music is going to look in a post-COVID-19 world. Here we go. Our guest today has one of the most distinctive voices in Australian music. He's a multi-aria and whammy award winner and has also taken home three international songwriting competition awards. He's a songwriting teacher, a podcaster, a solo artist and the frontman for one of Australia's most loved bands, Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, the bassist and frontman of Eskimo Joe, Cav Tempoli. Hello. Thanks for having us, Simon. My pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Where Where are you joining us from today? Uh, I am in my studio in Fremantle, and I'm in the less romantic location of the control room, which kind of looks like the inside of the Millennium Falcon um, before the cleaners have come through. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got a great little space down in Frio that I share with a bunch of different people, and it allows me to, you know, work on a bunch of projects like, you know, Eskimo Joe to my own stuff to, you know, education stuff to songwriting with people and everything in between. I was going to ask how your songwriting methods have changed during these times. Mm. I know you've recently taken to songwriting online. How have you found that? Well, I mean, songwriting is a funny thing. Uh, like if you're in a room with people then and the idea, you know, starts to feel exciting and, you know, take up momentum and all the rest of it, then the heat in the room starts to kind of rise and everyone gets excited. Um, since the COVID things happened, um, you know, from professional songwriting sessions to uh, to education stuff, I've been doing everything online. And, you know, the the downside of that is it's, it's just you can't jam real time. You can't be like, yeah, let's just, I'll play some chords and you sing. Um, you have to kind of get, get into this new way of doing it, which is, you know, everyone has five minutes to kind of do their idea and then you've got to consider it and go on. But it's also been a time of great innovation, you know, um, uh, for instance, I'm doing a online songwriting course called Cavs virtual songwriting. And, um, uh, and we've got kids from all over Australia. Like, so we've got a kid in Tasmania and a kid in Melbourne, um, a kid in Perth, um, you know, and, you, these guys, what I do is I put them all into bands and I, I go through this process, which I normally do in a day, but we, because it's, you know, these Zoom chats, um, we do them in little kind of hour chunks and I put together a lecture and I send out the lecture and then and then we sit 
down and we slowly work through this process of finishing a song. And it's been really interesting. Like there's been parts of it that have been really great and parts of it that have been really frustrating. There's definitely no real time, you know, reaction stuff that happens in the same way, like you do in a room, but I would have never have gone, yeah, cool. I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and, and do an online songwriting course. But you know, like I said, there's like a kid in Melbourne who's been in lockdown for, you know, months now. And then there's a kid in Tasmania who's, you know, kind of out, but like totally isolated to the rest of the world. And then there's a kid in Perth who nothing much has changed for them. And, and they're all communicating together and writing a song. And I think that's a that's pretty magical. And that, that's just, you know, been out of necessity of where we're at in the world. I was going to ask, given the current circumstances of what's happening in the world, previously you would have had to have travelled to complete these songs. Um, Do you think this situation has forced the hands of artists on how they create? Yeah, look, I think it's just made people have to just get on with it. You know, everyone's got a new normal. I remember being suggested of, you know, of doing online songwriting sessions with people and I'm like, nah, <laughs> that's, that's a terrible idea. I'll just just wait till I'm in town and we'll, and we'll write a bunch of songs. And I've always done it like that. But uh, now we just have to because it's the only way we can write with each other and and uh, and it's working you know people are just kind of getting on with it and going you know like i said this is the new normal way that people you know write and and do stuff together and i don't think you know artists there's not really any excuse for a lazy artist you know as a songwriter or any kind of creator we have to work you know 500 times harder than anyone who has a you know you know, check in, check out job, um, because, you know, we are responsible for what we put out and that's, that's a lot of work for some people. Um, but we're also kind of, as artists, we classically just want to, you know, go into our shell and create our ideas. And, you know, we, you know, famously don't really want to put ourselves out there. And I think what this whole, you know, COVID online writing thing is doing is is forcing us to, you know, actually put ourselves out there a bit more. And I and I think that's that's healthy. You know, I think, uh, you know, collaboration is a key part of creativity and coming together. You know, like there's that famous quote. I don't even know who said it. I should probably find this out. But you know, uh, art doesn't exist in a vacuum. You need a microcosm of all this this stuff going on for art to come together. And, and I think doing these, you know, online chats, you know, like we're doing right now, it's forcing people into this microcosm. Earlier in the year, you launched a podcast entitled Hat Jam, where it focused on the art and pressures of songwriting. Were, were those episodes done remotely? We did one remote one, which was uh, with Dallas Frasca, and she was a champion because it's uh, it's a lot of work, you know, as you know, putting a podcast together. Um, I'm sure one day they'll work out how to make money out of them. <laughs> but at the moment, you just have all these passionate individuals like you and I, you know, putting together these really interesting things that people love to consume. So with the Hat Jam podcast, uh, it was a lot about me traveling to people's jam rooms, to their sacred space where they create um, uh, music. And we did most of them. I traveled all over the world to do a bunch of uh, to what ended up being series one of Hat Jam. Um, but the final one we did uh, as a COVID special and, and uh, that required the artist, which was Dulles Frasca, to do a lot of the work at her end. Um, but what we do in, in Hat Jam is we um, sit down, we play this game that I've invented called Hat Jam and we literally pull names out of a hat 
chat and we have to write a song in real time. And then um, by the end of the episode, you know, which is recorded over a five-hour period, but I edit it down to about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, by the end of it, they've recorded, uh, you know, a, a version of the song that they would be happy to put out, <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, so with the with the long-distance writing thing, that, that took a few more days than, you know, would do if I was just in a room with someone going, yeah, cool, let's record this now, you know. Can we expect a season two? Hell yeah. Um, you know, there's actually a lot of uh, great artists in Western Australia at the moment, which is where I live, um, who have all finally made their way back home. So, you know, you've got people like, you know, John Butler, Stella Donnelly, um, you know, the guys from San Francisco, to name a few. And they're just great higher caliber bands who are out there will put out some records now. So I'm hoping to get some of those guys on board. Um, I think one of the, you know, there's a lot of, positivity about how artists have reacted to the COVID times, but there's also a lot of kind of uh, dragging of feet that have happened in the COVID times. I think a lot of people have been like, oh, sweet. You mean I don't have to get on a plane in two weeks and go and play a show? So, uh, you know, I think in Western Australia, which is such a kind of haven, um, everyone's been a little bit slow off the mark, but uh, but I hope to, as soon as the borders open as well, get out. And, you know, I've got, I had a whole bunch of artists lined up um, but for, season one that I didn't get round to because it all shut down. But, you know, I'm sure they'll all be happy to jump back on once we get out and do season two. That sounds very exciting. As you mentioned, with the borders still being closed and with COVID-19, how do you think it's going to affect both releasing and touring music moving forward? Well, you know, it's a funny thing because we got to this point just before, you know, the world shut down where, People seem to accept that, you know, you could spend $50,000, which is not a small amount of money, on an album, you know, and we would accept that that album wasn't going to sell, you know, it was just going to get streamed on the streaming service and you might make a dollar fifty out of that. But, uh, you know, people were still going out and, and playing shows and that became the main, in, uh, you know, income source. Uh, and now that everything's shut down, you know, people are still trying to make these artisan records, you know, these high quality amazing albums you know some great records have come out through this time most of them recorded before the lockdown happened um but no one can go out and sell their wares in the same way but what has happened um is music as a commodity has come back up a bit and i think that's pretty magical you know there was a point you know towards the late 2000s it started to kick in where you know if a bunch of people were walking along the street and walked into a, a bar they'd be like "Ooh, a live band's playing let's go somewhere else and we'll come back when that's finished you know and the dj's on now like you know if everyone from my friends who play in bands who the last thing they want to do when they get back from tour is go out and see a band because i've just been on the road to to you know anyone down the road are starved for it, you know, in Western Australia where, you know, the the restrictions are basically completely lifted. Um, you know, I've, I've done a few solo shows. I'm, I'm about to do a few more. Man, people love it. You know, I, it just goes to show that you take this one thing away, which is, um, you know, going to a live show and, and feeling, you know, these emotions that you only feel when a great artist sings a, a beautiful song live in front of you. Um, you know, you take that away from them and suddenly everyone's like, hold on, I need this in my life, you know, and... And so I'm, I'm feeling like, yeah, music as a commodity is coming back up again. And, and hopefully that plays back into this thing of people trying to make great albums and people, you know, wanting to support these artists. 
I feel like it's a it's a shared experience that you can't really um, recreate any other way. No. We're, we're about to do our first uh, COVID-friendly festival and uh, it looks insane. It's like four sections that everyone gets to go into and it's like ample space with like no lines for toilets and because that's not cool for, for the COVID thing. And it's a revolving, revolving stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's a revolving stage. But they didn't tell us about the revolving stage until um, after they booked us for the show and they're like, oh, yeah, it's a revolving stage. <laughs> and I'm like, I hope no one like, you know, gets seasick halfway through but yeah it's gonna i imagine it's just gonna slowly turn around from section to section so that's gonna be trippy is it a thing where each quarter or section gets one song and then the stage continues to move around i think but it's in the round so the uh, the pa will be going out equally to each section but i think slowly slowly this this stage turns so you know, for a moment, you'll kind of heart, you know, yeah, like you said, for half a song, you'll get the front of the band, and then you'll get the side of the band, and then the back of the band. And, you know, there's all kinds of interesting things going on all over the stage. So, um, yeah, in the round. <laughs> to be honest, it sounds kind of wild. The classic thing is it sounds slightly wild, but it's an acoustic festival in, in the southwest of Western Australia. So we um, we got called on. We weren't originally booked for it, um, but we had to replace uh, a good friend of ours, Josh Pike, who couldn't travel. So it's Xavier Rudd, John Butler, um, us. <laughs> and we're, we're like, we're a high-octane rock and roll band. I mean, I don't know if this podcast is going visual as well, but you can see the black fingernails slowly peeling off my fingernails there that's the kind of band we are simon but so we'll, we'll be getting up and doing an acoustic version of our show to kind of fit in with the vibe so for a wild revolving stage it's going to be a pretty chilled affair it wouldn't be the first time you guys have experimented with your sound though last year eskimo joe released a live record with the the west australian symphony orchestra yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, you asked me to send through a, uh, a playlist of some songs and uh, I, I included a, a song from uh, the West Australian Symphony Orchestra show that we did. We did a bunch of them around the country, but um, the ones uh, at the Perth Concert Hall with Wazo were the first two shows we did and they were just absolutely magical. Yeah. Is it something where you've gone, I've always wanted to know what From the Sea would sound like with the 30 piece orchestra? I think it's every musician's bucket list to have a, a a all of their songs, you know, that they humbly wrote in their bedrooms, reinterpreted by an orchestra. Um, but uh, yeah, it came about slightly organically. I mean, we had just kind of finished touring Wastelands, which was the last record we put out. It was about 2014, and we sat down, and you know, the plan was always just to for us all to step away and do some other projects in our life and for a little while, but not to finish playing with Eskimo Joe, just to kind of have a bit of a, you know, make it not our full-time job for a while. And we said, well, what do we want to do? You know, what's the plan? And and it was always floated that we would come back and, you know, as one of our first big shows back would be to do a symphony orchestra show. And then it just happened that I went to, you know, see a friend play who was, who was playing with the symphony orchestra and I met the lady who was, um, who's brand new at her job, um, Natalie something or other. Sorry, Natalie, I can't remember your last name. Um, but uh, she said, oh, my God, could we get Eskimo Joe to do this? And I was like, yes, you can. So that took about two years in the in the planning. And, and by the time, you know, that had come around, it was the perfect timing for us to kind of enter stage right again with the band. And, and it was really the catalyst that got us excited about being in Eskimo Joe again. So it was just perfect timing. You guys did return this year with the single Say Something. Mm. 
personally, when I listen back to previous Eskimo Joe, it sounds like there was um, a concentrated effort to make each record sonically different from the last. Like Girl is a little bit more indie rock and the Song as a City is more indie pop. Uh, Black Fingernails, Red Wine is, is more stadium rock. Is there a conscious effort from yourselves when making a new record to evolve from the previous sound? Yeah, we were, we all, we grew up being big Beatles fans and, you know, loved how they approach songwriting they you know every song was an event for those guys but every album was an event as well and they they seem to consciously want to change things up and keep moving forward all the time and i think with eskimo joe that was always our plan was never to write the same song twice and never to make the same record twice um but the interesting thing was is when we sat down to do say something i mean we had just re-released all of our back catalogue. Um, and when you make a record, it's not often that you go back and listen to that record again. You, like you said, you're kind of thinking about the new sound, you know, what are we doing next? You know, how can we make the new sound? Um, and so we spent a lot of time doing that, but not going back and listening to our records and high-fiving each other going, what a great record, you know? Um, so leading up to Say Something, we we've been going through all of our old demos and going through, um, you know, uh, the remastering stuff for vinyl. And, and it was the first time, you know, and then we got the vinyl, but it was the first time I'd really sat down and listened to those records again. And, um, and you have so much baggage attached to records when you've just made them, you're like, Oh my God, you know, that story, you know, that's still too raw for me. Or, you know, oh, I don't like how I sung that vocal or we could have written that song better. You know, you have so much attached to it, but you have to let it go because the album's out. But it was the first time I went back and just listened to them and was just, just listened, you know, didn't have any baggage, didn't have any, um, judgment. I was like, yeah, this, and I really enjoyed it. And I was like, these are, you know, going back to albums like girl where we were, you know, 20 years old. Um, it was just really fun and, and, and lots of joy and lots of just happy memories and no cringe moments where I'm like, Oh, I can sing much better now or whatever. I just, just listened. And so when we sat down to write, say something, we kind of, all of those, you know, flavors and and those eras of Eskimo Joe were kind of floating around our brains, and so we really sat down and and wrote a song that was kind of inspired by who we were, which was just probably a really positive step back into the spotlight again. I think. I mean, you do listen back. Is there anything that jumps back out and finds its way into a new song, and you think, "Oh gosh, twenty years on, I didn't think I'd still be singing about that." I look. <clears throat> I relive all of these stories every time I sing them on stage and uh, I always sound like the whinging lead singer to my bandmates because they're just like whatever um, but for me you know I, I have to relive those stories otherwise emotionally they lose their potency um, so I come off stage and sometimes I'm really exhausted because I've had to relive you know it's not like you are as attached to the actual storyline but there's an emotion and um, and a growing a, a, a period of growth as you write about these things in your life. That's what's so magical about being a songwriter. You know, you don't often have to go to therapy because you're writing all this, these demons out of you all the time. Um, but you have to relive the essence of what that experience was every time you sing it on stage. And so, you know, I'm pretty aware and comfortable with all those, the, all the subject matter of everything that I sung about. Um, but I guess, you know, it's this, the voice is such a raw instrument that it's quite 
interesting for me to go back and listen to me as a 20 year old compared to me as a 40 year old you know I, I i'm really comfortable with my voice now as a singer um but uh to listen to me singing when i'm 20 i'm like oh my god you sound like a, a child <laughs> yes because you were a child <laughs> <laughs> uh, look i think that's very fair um in 2018, you released your first solo record called All Your Devotion. Mm. When writing the songs, what stood out from these songs that they weren't Eskimo Joe songs but Cav Temperley solo artist songs? Uh, I think it's a great question because, um, you know, in this era where we're back to just writing singles, I think there is something about the process of writing an album where you don't often know what you're writing about or what the essence of the idea is um, until you go deep into it. And the only way to do that is to create a whole project i.e. a record. Um, and when I was writing All Your Devotion, um, I'd already put out a, an EP and there was like moments on that EP where I was like, oh, that's cool. That's going to be my solo sound. But it was only through doing the record that I really got to discover who I was as a solo artist. Um, you know, everyone who's been in a band can relate to this idea that, you know, where you think as you write an idea and then it gets workshopped as a band and turned into the sound of that, of all these, the sum of its parts, you know, there's always an idea in the back of your head of like, well, what would it sound like if I just followed my one idea through? And, and I guess doing a solo record is you get a pretty good idea of what it would sound like. And, you know, you kind of hop back to all of your favorite eras sonically. I mean, I always like to music to not sound. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When I make music, I don't want it to sound too retro, but, but for me, um, you know, there was a, a lot of references to the kind of early 70s, Neil Young kind of psychedelic era of that, of that kind of time. But, um, but yes, but as far as the songs go, you know, I, it's it was less about going for the jugular, you know, and making people want to sing along and more about creating um, an experience emotionally for, you know, who I am. And, and when you do a solo show compared to doing a, a band show, you know, a band show is like, is like a spruker in a marketplace. You're like, you know, come and buy my apples. They're amazing. Come and buy my apples. You know, yeah, you're just, you're trying to sell your wares on this large stage and there's all, you're throwing these big shapes and it's all very kind of theatrical like that. Whereas when you do a solo show, um, you know, you can actually take your time to tell a story and engage people in that way. And I felt like doing the solo album was a lot like that too. I felt, I didn't feel like I had to get straight to the, the hooks every single time I could, I could actually tell it in a bit more of a subtle, roar away and i mean i really look forward to getting in and, and doing some more recording and building on 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 what i did in that 
uh, on that record. I mean, I'm really proud of it sonically and songwriting wise, and I can't wait to kind of, yeah, feel, see where I go next with, you know, that experience. You mentioned a second ago how the industry is focusing more on big singles and less long-form records. And with the release format shifting to a model like that, do you find yourself leaning more towards sporadically releasing songs? Or do you think full records still have their place? It's hard to say. I mean, for me, I still love listening to records. I love it when people, like I said, have gone deep into an idea. Um, One of the songs I put on the playlist I sent to you is by a guy called Andy Schauf. And he's a Canadian guy. Um, I love the sonics of his record, but um, this uh, particular album that he's just put out is his second record. And, and and if you listen to it, if you go a little bit deeper into it, it's like one storyline that runs through the whole entire record and about this girl coming back to town and they haven't seen each other in years and then they finally kind of get together and then on the on the like second last track, which is Fire Truck, which is the song I, I put on the playlist and sent you, you finally get to the depth of the story about why they kind of had a falling out, you know, and it's, it's, I just love that. You know, I love, um, I love the idea that you can go deep into pop music, you know, which is essentially what it is. You know, I, you know, you can wrap it up and call it pop rock or, or indie this or that. It's just pop music, you know, um, and in varying degrees. And, and I think, you know, in this country, 90% of our funding goes towards operas and ballet. And, you know, say what you will about it being classic or whatever, but the one thing that opera and ballet does that deserves a, a bit of money is their grand ideas. You know, they are, they're not just like, oh yeah, here's a dance move. You know, I'm going to put out one dance move a month. It's like, this is a developed thought about idea. And I think in records, you get to go into that. And I feel like, Maybe if the funding was there or maybe if the kudos was there, people would feel a little bit more, um, you know, liberated about, you know, going deeper into an idea. And I'm not saying everyone should be putting out double records. I still think an album should just be like you press play and from start to finish, you know what song's coming next and it's taking you on a journey. And like a good book, it's got a beginning, middle and end. I, I love that about a record. Um, and I, but and I want it to keep my interest the whole time and I want it to have challenging moments that I don't get straight away. But when I listen to a few, a few more times, it reveals itself, you know, I, I love all of that stuff. So I'll still listen to records forever and I, I can't speak for anybody else, but, um, that's my experience with it. Did any of that come into play when, when the band made the decision to reissue all the old albums on vinyl so that people had to sit down and, and listen to the piece as a whole? Uh, yes, I mean we. Every time we we made a record, we tried to do this idea of. Um, I still think the format of vinyl is the ultimate way to consume a record. Twenty minutes aside, you know, you, you know, you can, you, get, you have to flip it and dip it, and that moment you can get yourself a a cup of coffee or whatever, and you know, and great records always like they always have like a hit at the beginning of side one and a hit at the beginning of side two. Um, you know, it's I just I love. I love how vinyl works like that. Um, the funny thing about re-releasing all the back catalogue is we had this hard drive of like everything and, and Stu from the band, um, his job was to go through and pull out all of these old demos. And I was, we were, we, we did a bunch of shows with Jimmy Barnes with Eskimo Joe and, and which was great because Jimmy Barnes is a legend and uh, it's Jimmy Barnes it's Jimmy Barnes, and we were up in Cairns or somewhere and, and Stu was like, Oh, listen to this song. I love this. And it was like a B side that never made it on the record, but Stu's always held a candle for this song. He's like, I love this song. And we kept listening and this next song came on and I was like, what? 
And so Stu had gone in. This was it was never a demo. It was literally me coming home drunk late one <laughs> night and pressing record. And it was, and you can hear like the idea starts. I'm like, yeah, that sounds solid. And then like, uh, by the second verse, that clearly I I was, you know, kind of making it up on the spot. I'm slurring and going through it. I'm like, how did that make it onto the B sides? And Stu was like, to tell you the truth, I just listened to the first like 30 <laughs> seconds. I was like, yeah, that sounds great, <laughs> and chucked it on there. So, uh, you know, unfortunately now that will never get developed into a song. Well, maybe it will. Maybe we should take that that B side out and. Uh, turn it into a new Eskimo Joe song. But uh, hilariously, yes, you've got to be careful about who goes through the the, the demos because some things aren't demos. They're literally just Cav drunk late at night. <laughs> I love that you can hear where, like, there was the sound of mind in creating the song and then when the wheels fall off, it's just a, they're yeah, off. totally. And I'm starting to slur halfway through the song. It's really funny. But the song's cool. I was listening to it. I was like, that's a cool idea. You know, shame I didn't turn that into a proper song. You could probably still turn it around at some point. There's still time, Simon. Awesome. Let's talk about your playlist. Great. said through Cav, I can see some Eskimo Joe, some Bob Evans, some Josh Pike, mm. and uh, Steve Parkin as well. All of uh, all mm. of those gents make up Basement Birds, which um, you're included uh, on the playlist as well. Are you guys all still in touch? Uh, look, uh, I would love to do another Basement Birds record, um, but it's one of those things. It was a miracle that our stars aligned and we had eight months that we literally wrote, recorded and toured that record and then everyone was back doing their day jobs. Um, I still, you know, see Kev, um, a.k.a. Bob Evans, around quite a bit. He was one of the guests on my Hat Jam podcast. Me and Josh are really close. I, I stay with him every time he comes, uh, goes to Sydney and he comes and hangs out with me every time he comes to Perth and we chat regularly on the phone. Um, Steve, I'm still in contact with. He's kind of, you know, just chilling um, out in the burbs at the moment, um, but still making music and all the rest of it. Um, you know, everyone's still creatively doing their thing. Uh, it's, I think it's about 10 years since that record came out, but it was such an awesome experience doing that record and um, shame we never got to do another one. The song that you picked from the Basement Birds record was Ghosts. Mm. What is it about that song that made it stand out from the, the other songs on that record? Uh, I think back to a conversation that me and Kev had and he, when we were putting the track listing together, he was like, I think it should open with ghosts. And I was like, no, 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 it's got to be the single and it's got to, you know, I was all pop about it. Um, and uh, and then after we put the record out, I rang up Kev and said, you're right. We should have put that as the first song on the record. And he was like, oh, he was so upset. Um, but there's, you know, we wrote that record, a bunch of it was, um, written on the back porch of my house, and then we were literally recording the songs in the back shed of my house, you know, that afternoon. Um, that song was one of the first songs that me and Josh wrote. We, you know, I think we wrote two songs in one session, got ourselves a bottle of whiskey and just sat in my jam room and, and went for it. And Ghosts just, you know, it was very fluid how that song came together, and um, I think it's still probably one of my favourite moments on the record. Another song you've picked is Cash Machine by Oliver Tree, which gives me um, some very serious Eskimo Joe wake-up vibes. Mm. Oliver Tree, along with some other acts you've picked, including Gum and Tame Impala, are known for blending genres. 
do you think that's become more common within the last four to five years where acts have found that, you know, you can, you can be a little bit electro and a little bit country all in the same song and it works when you put it together? Yeah, I think that's where we're at in music at the moment. You know, there's when no one's coming up with a brand new thing, like no insult to the bands. I mean, I think good songs and, and you know, as long as it's, if, as long as you press play and you're like, this is cool, then it's cool. Um, at, you know, Tame Impala, Gum, um, Oliver Tree, it's like a really good representation to, of, you know, where music's at at the moment. And I thought that was a good song to put on here on the playlist because it's a brand new song. And it did the same thing to me that it did to you, Simon, when I first heard it, which was, it just took me back to a place straight away. And it was like, that kind of slacker, you know, early noughties kind of vibe, but it's still really modern. You know, it's got this this whole section where it all goes kind of dancey and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, something something was really nostalgic about that song and just really instant. I was like, oh, yeah, I know this music. I, I could write this music. You know, this is, this is the music we were writing, you know, when we were 20 years old and how cool. I thought it honestly might have been a B-side from girl or maybe a, a trunk <laughs> voice memo from yourself or well I, I showed it to joel from eskies and he hadn't heard it yet and he was just like because he spends a lot of time uh, living in melbourne and producing a lot of other bands um and he straight away was like messaging his producer mates going oh you should hear this song you know this is a cool idea you know um so i think oliver tree is kind of you know people just they do a certain thing at a certain time and if they had done it five ten years earlier we might not have paid attention. I feel like Tame Impala is a similar band. Amazing, like super cool production. Kev from Tame Impala is, is just an absolute champion doing some of the coolest, coolest shit in the world and and the whole entire world's paying attention. So that he's from Fremantle, so that makes me proud. Um, but I feel like he came along at the right time when people were ready to hear that music. And if it had been, you know, five years shy of that, you know, people it might, might have just been too indie or just the wrong music at the wrong time. One song that you picked that surprised me was Simmer by Hayley Williams. Are you a fan of Paramore? And what was it about this song that stood out? Well, the answer is I've never been a fan of Paramore. In fact, it's like if people were Paramore, I'd probably like roll my eyes a little bit. And that's fine. There's no right or wrong answer to music. If you enjoy it, then it's good for you. But I've never been a Paramore fan. Um, and so I was pleasantly surprised when I heard this. And I feel like people need to pay attention to what artists do. There's there's more dimensions to a lot of artists. And I feel like she is flexing that muscle here. If you listen to the song, the production's really cool. You know, you put it on. If you were, like, going to the gym or whatever and you were, like, an indie kid, you were, like, this, this is the kind of song you'd want to pump weights to. Um, it's really – it's super cool and it's dense and it's interesting and it shows that, you know, there's a bit more going on behind the coloured hair dye and the, the paramore facade than, uh, than you know, than we thought was there. Yeah, it's actually quite a great record. Mm, I had listened to the record and uh, it's, yeah, it's super, got lots of experimental stuff going on on it. You know, she's obviously trying to be, quote, unquote, an artist. Um, and I think, you know, when you talked about before, when we're talking about albums and singles, um, singles are 
such an important part of what we do. You know, they, they're not better or worse than the other songs on the record, but you need that hook to pull people in to see what, what else is going on, you know, and she's done that really successfully. You can clearly see that she's worked in a big, successful band for years because she puts a song like that on the record and it brings a whole lot of people in to listen to all the other interesting, you know, creakiness that's going on on her record. The last song I wanted to talk to you about today, Cav, is one from uh, one of my personal favourite artists, Father John Misty, one of the greatest troubadours or singer-songwriters of the last 10 years. You've picked the the most recent single, 2S. What attracted you to this song? Uh, well, it's a, it's a brand new song for him and uh, I just... I'm a big believer in continuous continuing to work that musical muscle where you actually pay attention to what artists are doing right now. Like I love Father John Misty. I probably listen to Fear of Fun more than any of his other records because there's a couple of tracks on that that I love. But I love tracks off every record he puts out. But as an artist, I think he's just a really vital character. You know, he's got this kind of nihilistic thing going on, but he gets it. It's clearly a bit of an act at the same time, but there's a blurred line with him, you know, like there's a bit of a tragic comedic aspect to what he does. Um, but yeah, I think he knows it's an act, but he, he loves the act of it itself. It's clearly an, ex- clearly an extension of who he is and, you know, his background, like he was the, he was the drummer in, um, uh, the, uh, in fleet foxes. fleet foxes, you know, who are another amazing band. And, uh, you know, if you look at, if you check out the live at the basement sessions that, that, um, Nigel Godrich does, um, that, you know, Radiohead has done and PJ Harvey and lots and lots of amazing bands. And, um, there's a base, there's a, a, uh, a session of, um, fleet foxes doing it. And, and yes, uh, Josh Tillman is on the drums and he put out uh, quite a few records as Josh Tillman and, and no one really cared, but it wasn't until he stepped into this, like, I don't care about life, whatever, you know, thing that suddenly everyone paid attention. And that was his third record, you know. Um, So clearly he's a prolific guy who's going to keep making records. And he became a lot bigger than than the Fleet Foxes have, I think. And um, he will definitely continue to do interesting stuff. So that's why I put one of his new songs on there, because it's a really cool, interesting song, beautiful chords, amazing string arrangements and stuff going on. Um, but yeah, it's someone to continue to pay attention to, I say. I think that's a great pick and what a song to end the episode on. Cav, thank you so much for your time today and, uh, for, for being our guest. Absolute pleasure, Simon. Looking forward to, uh, hearing the podcast when it's out there on the airwaves doing what podcasts do. Cheers. And that's our show. We want to say a massive thank you to Cav and the Eskimo Joe team. Their latest single, Say Something, is out now and available to stream on all music platforms. If you'd like to see the full list of Cav's songs, you can find the link to This Song Is Your Spotify profile in the show notes of this pod. We'd also like to thank Dan and the team at Lip Media for their guidance with setting up the podcast. We're not a Lip Media show, but please make sure you check out and listen to some of the great and diverse content they have. Speaking of content, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you like the show, you can follow us on Instagram or on Facebook. I've been your host, Simon Fink, and we'll be back with another show next week. Until then. Hey. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 